Hi, welcome to Navigating Developmental Delay Podcast. I'm Ms. Burr. And I'm Dr. Hamilton. We want to welcome you and encourage you to follow us on social media. You can find us on our Twitter platform at NavigatingDevel1, Instagram, all one word, Navigating Developmental Delay, and Facebook. We hope that you visit our social media sites. You can access them through our episode webpage or wherever you get your podcasts. Our website is also on there, navigatingdevelopmentaldelays.com. Be sure to check out our tweets as we will tweet out articles that we refer to on our podcast, and the links can also be found in our episode webpage. So we wanted to go over our medical disclaimer real briefly at the beginning of each episode. We want to stress that we are putting this information out there for informational purposes only. We want to stress that we are not giving anyone medical advice or occupational therapy advice. For medical advice, you should reach out to your children's pediatrician or family physician only. So our podcast and blog disclaimer, while we make every effort to broadcast correct information, we are still learning. One doctor and occupational therapist may have a different way of doing things from another. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. We take no money from advertisers at this time. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your family physician or your own physician for any medical issues you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall Navigating Developmental Delays podcast, any guests or contributors to the podcast, or blog, or any employees, associates, be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast or blog. For a more detailed disclaimer, please visit our website at navigatingdevelopmentaldelays.com. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Hamilton. And Ms. Burr. And today we have a very special podcast for you. Today we're going to be talking about how to get the most out of your pediatrician's visit. Um, We've recognized as we were kind of creating this podcast, which was a while ago, that a lot of things have changed from the pandemic as far as visiting your pediatrician. Um, Some of you might be waiting in your car before you go in. Some of you might have pushed your pediatrician visits off. Um, But now as we're opening up and um, a little bit more flexible, uh, you know, we really encourage everyone to make sure that they're getting their annual pediatrician visits in um, and getting to these appointments, even though they might be a little bit different and a little bit challenging. Um, Certainly today, we're going to kind of tailor our discussion to children with disabilities. However, we know every child, they can struggle with the pediatrician, um, especially, you know, your little guys who get a little bit scared or overstimulated. Um, We know checking ears can be a challenge and there's just a lot of demands when you go to the, the doctor uh, mm-hmm. for our family. So, you know, although, again, we're, we're talking about children with disabilities, this could apply to anybody um, who really gets a little bit anxious going to the doctor. Right. And I think that the other thing, you know, I think for us to talk about is usually every office gives a certain amount of time that's a template usually for well visits and sick visits. So some offices only give 15 minutes for well visits, the entire well visit. And you have another uh, patient booked 15 minutes after. So if your child's schedule at 115, 
you have someone else scheduled at 1.30. And so it's very challenging sometimes um, if you have an office that only allows 15 minutes for bell visits to get everything done in that length of time. Some offices give 30 minutes, but calling ahead and finding out how much time they give is helpful. Sure. And I think that's great advice as as people are kind of getting back into their appointments is just calling ahead and finding out what the visit's going to look like, um, what the expectations are so that you can really move forward and prepare for that. So Dr. Hamilton, um, when we were talking about this, you really laid out like these really nice five steps that you kind of recommend to families to think about, to prepare, um, as we said, to really optimize your pediatrician visit. And the first one you wrote down um, is, you know, how do you find the right provider for you that's going to work with your child with, with special needs? Right. And I think that, you know, understanding that our medical system in some ways uh, doesn't allow like these appointments automatically to be tailored. So part of the solution is finding a provider, you know, who is more well-versed in, you know, specific disabilities. Um, So I would reach out to, you know, family and friends, ask for recommendations at therapy, at playgroups, or any, you know, if you're waiting in a waiting room with other parents, it doesn't hurt to say, hey, who is your pediatrician? You know, do you like them? Or if they're seeing someone, family practice, pediatrics, um, You might also, when you call the office, ask, you know, if there's someone who has a larger amount of patients they see with with disabilities. All pediatricians see kids with disabilities. You know, that's part of all of our our jobs. But sometimes if there is someone who is more willing to, you know, have appointments that are maybe a little bit longer and maybe if they can come up with a plan for how to acclimate your child to the visit. As an example, um, Aaron, you know, all pediatricians see kids for, see uh, parents for prenatal visits, right? When you're expecting, you get to go meet a pediatrician. So I think parents should approach finding the right pediatrician for their kids as same kind of thing, you know, kind of reaching out and saying, hey, can I come in and meet the pediatrician before I bring my child in? Can I even have maybe a phone call with them to discuss Mm -hmm. some of these concerns? So look at it as like a, you know, kind of like a prenatal visit type appointment for your child. But I think that uh, that would be one of the first things I would recommend is look for recommendations from family and friends, therapists, other places like that, because they are the ones that, you know, maybe have a provider they might like that they might recommend. And then look for a provider that you can have a long-term plan with, like approaching someone and, you know, talking to them on the phone and seeing, you know, these are the things my child struggles with. Like, do you have suggestions for how I can handle these? I think it's helpful thing Mm -hmm. to try. You know, I love that recommendation of thinking of it like a a prenatal appointment. Um, Because I, I, honestly, I don't know if I would ever have thought to be able to call and have a conversation with a pediatrician first to find out a little bit more about them um, without feeling like I had to schedule that, that well visit or, um, you know, waiting till my child gets sick. So I think that's a great, great strategy. Um, And I don't know, has that become any easier with the use of telehealth or is it still kind of look the same as it did before the pandemic? I think telehealth is a whole podcast that we can talk about, but, you know, I think for sick visits, 
you know, certain times, I think uh, telehealth visits are very convenient for, for parents and understandably so. But a lot of times, if you can't see the ears, you know, you can't really adequately diagnose what's going on. So a lot of times behavioral appointments where you want to discuss your child's behavior, sometimes for parents, those are easier to do sometimes in the home because there's not a, an acute medical concern in terms of their ears are hurting, is there an ear infection or they're coughing, is there a pneumonia? It's more like, you know, I'm worried about the behavior and having the child present so child can be there so the doctors can, you know, nurse practitioners can lay eye on the uh, patient and then you and the parents can have a conversation. So I think behavioral health visits, telehealth really lends itself to that model. So I think that's a helpful adjunct. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful, yeah. So once you find that provider, the one that's, you know, really going to work with you and, um, you know, provide that plan and, and work with you on the challenges that your child has, the next step is to kind of prepare your child for the appointment. Um, so what would you say works well to kind of get the child ready for their first appointment with a new pediatrician? So I think one thing that works really well for a lot of children is, um, you know, kind of doing a mock doctor's visit. So mm -hmm. I know it's very simple, but this actually really helps a lot of kids. I would buy a doctor's kit and I would practice checking the child at home. So, you know, we talk about, you know, getting kids used to routines, teaching them to do different things, but you have to kind of practice those things when you're not in the actual visit, which is more stressful for the kids. Sure. You know, the doctor's office is very loud. Babies are crying. It's overstimulating a lot of people. So practicing the parts of the exam when you're not in that high pressure situation is really helpful. You know, the same way as you shouldn't practice mindfulness for the first time when you're really in an emotional crisis, you should practice those skills before. Right. So, you know, if you buy a doctor's kit, you know, I would let the child uh, check one of their toys, let them check you, you know, let them see that that is okay if they check you or, you know, you can have a, you can put on the doctor's kit stethoscope and you can check the kids and show that it's not painful. It's not as scary as they might think, you know, shows like Doc McStuffins can be helpful in modeling mm -hmm. a checkup too. Um one of the things that I found, Erin, helpful is when parents check their kid's temperature with an ear thermometer, that often has the added unexpected kind of benefit of making it easier to let the, let the you know, doctors check the ears in the office. So right. That's a great idea. Yeah, I've really noticed that, that when parents, you know, the kids that sometimes have an easier time with the ear checkup, the parents often have been checking their temperature at home with the ear thermometer. So that's something to, to consider, you know, but sensory desensitization can happen with repeated use and, you know, children will often get used to going through the process. So, you know, I think that the other thing that, you know, I know you as an OT do a lot is like a visual checklist. Mm-hmm for yeah. children to see and, you know, do a visual schedule and show them each part of the appointment. And that is something you can discuss with the doctor ahead of time, right? You can practice with the visual schedule. So you can practice, you know, sitting in a pretend waiting room at home and practice doing a temperature check or a weight check, right? And parent can pretend to be the doctor and, and child can pretend to be the doctor too and check you in as the patient, but just kind of going through the motion. So what, what kind of things they're going to do? Sometimes kids are scared because 
it's a new place. It mm -hmm. might be a new person. They don't know what to expect. And not knowing what to expect is more terrifying than if you know what to expect. Right, right. Yeah, I know um, during my therapy sessions, some of the things we'll do is uh, go on online and print out a picture of the physician of the building. Um, if we can get, you know, a, a nice little picture of the inside, sometimes we can do that as well. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And we'll start putting that together for the family just as a little mm -hmm. book of what it looks like. So social stories or visual mm -hmm. schedules. Mm -hmm. um, and then your point to sensory desensitization, I think is, is really important. Um, because as we're saying, you know, hopefully your child isn't going to the doctor a lot. But the right. bad thing about that is then we aren't exposed constantly to some of these sensory inputs. And so right. the more you practice it, the, the easier the body can, can handle those right. situations. So I think and, that's really important. And, and honestly, Erin, I think one of the things like we were talking about, you know, the first visit as a kind of a think of it as a prenatal visit. If you find someone who's willing to see your child just to say hi before, I think that makes it a low stress way for them to meet. It's not like they have to meet them. Now they have to do all these, you know, physical exam things and all the height and weight, the vital signs um, they have to measure. But I think you can just say, can I please, you know, just come by the office and they can just see you. Maybe they can just take you to a room for a minute and then just say hi and, you know, come back for your appointment on another day. This may not work for every office's schedule, but, you know, if you just want to say hi or even see them in the, you know, the waiting area, so it's a familiar person, that's something else you could always ask for. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, I, I think that would be a big benefit to a lot of our kiddos who uh, need to kind of meet the person and the staff and, and feel comfortable in that environment. So I, I love that suggestion if, if practices are able to accommodate for that. Mm -hmm. So once you have your child kind of ready and you have your visual schedule, um, you know, perhaps you've talked to your child about what reinforcers they want um, at the end of the visit. If, you know, a visit's going to be really challenging for them. I think that as a therapist, you know, don't, I always tell my parents, these are situations where you don't be afraid to have that reinforcer. It's really important to, um, you know, give a lot of praise and give a lot of reinforcement because this is going to be a challenge for some kids. Um, so, you know, have that ready for you. How do you prepare yourself as a, as a parent or a caregiver um, for this kind of first, first meeting with a new provider? I think the, I think one very important step is to, um, to make sure you get all your concerns answered. I think that it's important to write things down. Mm -hmm. For example, if you make a one-page summary of the main concerns you have and the main issues you have, and also your child's medical history, right? When they're upset and they're crying and you're trying to comfort them, oftentimes parents don't feel like they're able to get all their they didn't remember to say everything, you know, it's like a stressful situation, they weren't able to get everything down. So giving like either a lot of people have portals now, right, electronic ways to transmit the information. So send a message via the portal, drop oh. off a, a note at the doctor's office, fax a note, whatever is easier for you and say, these, this is my child's medical history. You know, these are the allergies, everyone is still going to go over that with you. But if they already have an idea of uh, your concerns and maybe so you know we always do allergies past medical history past surgical history sure. what medications they're you're on but also having a little like 
notes about this is something during the physical exam I think my child will have trouble with. So you can just say potential, you know, concerns with the physical exam. If your child hates their ears being touched, say, I anticipate the ears will be really hard. Or I anticipate that, you know, if you have, um, if you have, you know, if you have some trucks there, or if you have trucks at home, you could take, you could make little notes like that. Like, for example, you could say, you know, my child hates ESD, they have sensory problems, looking at ears will be challenging. He likes trucks, I have a truck in my bag, we can use as motivation for letting him check your letting letting you check his ears or her ears. So mm-hmm. little notes like that, you know, so for example, uh, you can say, you know, I promise my child, you can put in the note, I promise my child a lollipop. And it, I have a lollipop in my bag. So when you're having difficulty with the exam, let me know and I'll pull it out. Writing out those notes, you know, we're all the same team. Our goal is to make sure your child has, you know, a visit that is good for them, feels safe and comfortable for them. So, you know, some parents, honestly, they have so many things they have to do with their kids, like school and other therapies. Sometimes as a parent, you might say, I don't, I don't want to hold my child down for this. But, mm-hmm. you know, you can put in a note, you know, I can't hold my child down for, you know, um, you know, I don't want to hold them for the ear check. Please call for some extra staff members to mm-hmm. help assist with that checkup part when you get to that. But I think planning is key. And I think a lot of times there's so much on, on parents' plates that I know it's hard, but I think that even five minutes of jotting a note down like this can really help make your visit better for you and better for your child. Um, yeah. so the thing that make, makes a big difference, you know, so there's also a lot of medical health systems use a computer program called Epic. Mm-hmm. So if you can, you know, sometimes there's a way that you can put a note in Epic that has an FYI, you know, for the patient, it might have things like, you know, um, this part of the exam is difficult, or the patient enjoys trucks, talk about trucks, you can ask if the doctor that you're seeing can put some notes in the system so that even if you see a different provider for another visit in the future, everyone can kind of look and see the same little summary of your child. So it just gives right. you a little bit more of a voice in the checkup, you know, and the visit. Right. No, that, that's a, a great point to, again, use and, and benefit the technology we have right now, you know, going on your portal, putting those things in as a note, and then, you know, in your appointment, asking that it's noted in, in the chart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I love that you put, you know, some of the strengths, because I think sometimes we always tend to note the things that are challenges, right? You know, oh, might have trouble with ears, but to say, you know, loves trucks and would love to talk about Elmo, Mm -hmm. you know, if the the physician can go in and read that, and that's the first thing that they come in with, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to have so much more success when you lead with, with that positive and that interest. So I really, really like that. I think that's wonderful. Right. And I think having the other things that might help is if you don't have time to do this in advance just jot it on a piece of paper just give it to the staff member who checks you in and say please make sure the doctor gets this or Mm -hmm. if you have certain you know videos on your phone that your child really enjoys have them like queued up because Mm -hmm. if that helps them you know to be more calm uh, obviously for you know the ear and heart like the the checkup for like the lungs and the the heart, they might ask you to turn it down so they can have a good exam, being able to hear those heart sounds and, you know, those, the lungs, but the other parts, some doctors will be, you know, flexible. You can put that on. If they're calm, they can check their ears while you have the video on. Right. 
Yeah, I think so much of that, as you're saying, too, is just going in feeling confident enough that you can be honest about your needs for that session and your child's needs. Um, And then also, you know, I think as a parent, and this is just speaking from personal experience, keeping myself calm and Mm -hmm. organized enough, because if you have a child who, you know, going to the doctor is a stressful activity and you're already kind of heightened and stressed, mm-hmm. you know, your child is, is going to feel that and read that. Um, so certainly as a parent, I would recommend to other parents to bring down your stress levels and bring your calm so that, you know, they can feed off of your calm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, that's, that's great. I, I really like some of those strategies for families. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, optimizing a visit schedule. You know, you've talked a little bit about how to use Epic and and, um, other platforms like that, but what what can families do to really look at the scheduling piece to this with offices? So I think the first piece is really, as I mentioned briefly before, understanding what the standard visits are like. So I would say when you're scheduling something, one of the first things I would ask is how much time are we given for a bell visit? How much time are we given for a sick visit? And if you feel like your child is going to need extra time, you can ask for it. It may not always happen, but I think that I would ask and say, you know, my child might have some difficulty with being on the scale, being measured or having vital signs taken. I would, I, he's going to need extra time or she's going to need extra time. I think people appreciate knowing about that ahead of time so they can plan accordingly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I find that when you're scheduling bell visits, the first appointment of the day or the first appointment after lunch is usually the best because that's when the, the pediatrician is going to be running on time more likely than any other time of the day, right? Okay. Sometimes yeah. we'll have a you'll have like a bell visit and the child might be, because, you know, we are required to do depression screens on older kids. So sometimes you'll be doing a bell visit and the child might be, very depressed. And then you have to address it, obviously, you know, we want to make sure we take care of everyone. But a lot of times these unexpected things come up all the time, which means that people can run behind. Um, So I think first appointment of the day, find out when is the first appointment of the day and um, schedules are different from day to day. Sometimes someone might be starting earlier in the day, sometimes they might be starting later in the day. So I would ask for first appointment of the day, or first appointment after lunch. Uh, First appointment in the morning or after lunch allows you to have more control over your schedule because, you know, a lot of times kids have difficulty with changes and routine. And unfortunately, doctor's visits and schedules can be a little bit unpredictable. So that helps. So I would try to do well visits at that time. You know, it also makes sure there's less waiting for your child in the waiting room and, Mm. you know, the provider is not running behind and, you know, Uh, waiting rooms are open for a lot of places now so there's less people in the waiting room right so it's less crowded it's less noisy it's a little bit easier for your child at that visit uh, time as well sure do you think it's okay um to ask that you wait in the car I mean I know we've been doing uh and seeing a lot of that in the pandemic and if that's a thing that has been successful for families do you think that's going to be an option moving forward I think it really depends on the office. I think that a lot of parents really like waiting in the car because especially, you know, if you have kids, 
they are more easily contained. They're more comfortable in the car as opposed to being in the waiting room. And remember the other thing, Erin, is most books and toys and things that would be in waiting rooms because of the pandemic and, you know, COVID related safety concerns, they're no longer there. So waiting rooms are very bare and rooms are very bare. So I think that I would, I would not feel hesitant to ask, but, you know, in terms of, you know, the other thing, you know, besides scheduling the appointment at certain times of the day, I would ask if it's possible to have extra time added to the appointment, like I mentioned, right? So the way I would script that to parents is I would say, you know, um, due to my child's complex healthcare needs, I think they're going to need additional time during the visit. Sometimes you can ask to speak to the, you know, whoever you're seeing, the provider, medical provider beforehand. You can also ask to speak to an office manager. And if, if they can't do that, then maybe they can offer you another suggestion, you know, so initiating that dialogue and saying, you know, I think they're going to need extra time. I, I think that people should ask for that. And then, you know, you get an answer, yay or nay, but at least you can come up with a plan. Right, right. No, I think that's great because, it, again, you know, as a parent, I don't know if I would really know to even ask for that or if that was a possibility, I think. Mm-hmm. So much in this medical environment now, you're used to that. Well, I have 10, 15 minutes. I got to get out as much as I can and then, right. <laughs> you know, get moved on. So just knowing that that may be an option right. and to be honest and ask for that is is really important. Right. And, you know, identifying someone, if you are at the office and there's someone you talked to on the phone when you called or someone you saw in person, developing that rapport with that person and then maybe asking to speak to the same person. A lot of times when people answer the phone at the doctor's office, you don't know who you're speaking to. So I would ask for the name of the person, you know, if they, if you didn't remember it, write it down and then try to stay. If there's someone you connected with, try to stay with the same person in terms of calling to schedule appointments, because if they extended time for you once, they might remember that and remember talking to you. So that person can maybe become, you know, your personal troubleshooter so they can informally help you maybe as an advocate for you. Right, right. No, that's a great point. And now do you see any difference um, with scheduling and timing from a well visit to a sick visit? Is there anything different that you would recommend? Yeah, sick visits often have less time. So most, most places, there are certain medical concerns that automatically should get a little bit extra time, like, you know, like headaches, abdominal pain, usually get uh, additional time, but that doesn't always happen. And the reality is at most places, you're getting 15 minutes for a sick visit, 15 minutes only will be scheduled. So I think that asking, you can ask, can I come in a little early because I know that uh, getting vital signs taken might be a challenge for my child. So I don't want to, you know, you could call the office and say, I don't want to make you guys run behind. Can I come 10 minutes early so we have enough time to get prepped for the appointment? And again, that may not always happen, but I I encourage people to ask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the same with the idea um, of breaking up appointments into smaller appointments. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of maybe how to to request that from a provider? Sure. I think a lot of times if you're seeing someone as, uh, so there's a couple of things that are very helpful, right? If someone is, if someone is seeing your child and your child has complex medical needs, getting the records to them ahead of time is invaluable. I can't tell you the, you know, the number of times where we have, Uh, new patients and we don't have any records. Sometimes it's hard for parents to get records. So if 
you have any records from your previous uh, doctor, get them forwarded. Make sure you call the office and make sure the office has received it because just because you request it doesn't mean they're going to be sent, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so, I, so I think that having that ahead of time so they can look and see what di specific diagnoses your child has is really helpful. But I think the other really big take home, you know, from our talk today, I, I don't think it's going to be possible to cover everything you need in one appointment. And I think just knowing that there's options for that, you know, to have them covered in a different way. So let me explain what I mean. You know, just knowing that, you know, often providers are working with unrealistic templates, you know, 10 to 15 minutes for all kids, right? Okay. So sometimes the templates don't take into account if a child has special healthcare needs, um, unless you already arranged it. And we talked about that. So that's something sure. you can be proactive about. But you can pick, I would pick the top one or two concerns that you want addressed during that visit. And then I would, you know, tell the provider something like, you know, I know I won't be able to address all my concerns. So I'd like to come in for an additional, you know, sick visit this week to address the rest of my concerns. For example, let's say if your child has, you know, recurrent ear infections and, you know, speech delays and behavioral concerns and you're doing a bell visit. It's not fair to you or your child to expect to have everything done within 15 minutes or 30 minutes. So acknowledging that that may not happen, you have more concerns. So maybe today you just do the bell visit and talk about ear infections and then uh, they can schedule you for a follow-up or sick visit where you can address the rest of your concerns that, you know, you didn't get to address during the visit. I think that oftentimes helps parents feel like they're able to address all their concerns because when you get a list of five things and you're doing a bell visit, oftentimes it's not adequate time to address them to, you know, your satisfaction, also the provider satisfaction. You know, people want to be able to, to address those things with you and they do need time for that. And the other, you know, benefit I think is, if you come back for an additional like one or two appointments, you can ensure that your child gets used to the office. When you only see them once a year, it's much harder for them. And oh. I've seen, you know, I, and I'm sure you see that with, you know, patients that you see for therapy. Once they know you, the next visits are easier, especially if they've seen you a few times. They may not be as scared, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we're, I, I would say uh, as therapists, we're a little bit lucky in that way where we can maybe take our first session to move a little slower, um, you know, not have to force that, that interaction as much because we know we'll have the next week and the following week to kind of right. build, build that relationship a little bit slowly. So, um, but certainly I think that knowing what the parents needs are beforehand, as you're, mm -hmm. you were saying, having some of those um, charts, the, the pre-information can make a world of difference because then you can really start off just asking the parent, what would you like to address today? You know, what, what's your really big concern today? So, right. um, I think that pre-planning is really important. Right. And, you know, it's, it's really important because you are your child's best advocate, right? And you're trying to establish like a long-term relationship with the doctor and the office. Um, the more you plan ahead and the more clear your communication is with the office regarding your expectations, the better the relationship is. So everyone is on the same page. But again, not everyone is going to address concerns the way 
you might need them concerned. Cert certain personalities click differently sometimes. So if you communicate your expectations clearly and you're not successful in what you're trying to do, I would consider maybe switching if okay. you needed to, you know, and, and I think parents feel bad about switching to a different practice or different office, but the bottom line is your needs and your child's needs have to be met. So, you know, you have to find a way to, to make that happen and don't feel bad about switching if you need to switch. Right. No, I, I think that's, that's great advice. And I know, you know, as practitioners, like you said, everyone wants the best and they're working hard, but there's, you know, just sometimes where it, it is just a matter of personality differences and um, preferences of scheduling and, and all kinds of different reasons. And so to be confident as a parent to say, you know, I think that someone else would be a, a better fit is, is really important. Right. And, you know, the other thing I was going to say is, you know, there's certain parts of the exam that we all do. Um, so a lot of times, for example, let's say you come in for a well visit and your child is, doesn't have a fever, doesn't have a cold, doesn't have tugging at their ears. If you want to at least have a talk with the provider about, I know that your exam is going to be hard. Can we please skip that for today? And it doesn't mean that they're always going to want to skip it. If they have concerns, they might want to talk with you about why it's important for them to check it. But at least if you anticipate certain things being hard, you can talk about it and say, would it be okay if you did this today? Or can we skip this today? You know? Mm -hmm. Right, right. And, you know, I know this wasn't something that we had mentioned earlier, but I'm just wondering, as you're talking about finding different physicians within the practice, um, would you recommend trying to stay with the same physician to build that long-term therapeutic relationship when you can? Um, I know a lot of practices have a lot of, you know, pediatricians in a group. So what, how would you recommend parents go about that? I think I would try to stick with the same person for well visits because well visits are usually not acute, right? Right. Um, those are things you can plan ahead. So I would definitely try to stay consistent with the same person for wells and even six if possible. Not everyone is going to be in the office all the time. Sometimes people are on vacation. Um, so I think that whenever possible, I would try to schedule with the same person but perhaps you can have two people, right, mm -hmm. that you see regularly. So if one of them is not there, you still have another person that is familiar with your child. That's great. Yeah, I think that's that's great advice. Um, because like you said, things come up, things happen. And, you know, as a parent, you don't want to be panicking that it's, it's not your doctor right at the moment if you really need to get your child in. So right. I think that's uh, some good advice there. Right. Well, so... There was one question you had, right? That you said you were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. So this is a personal question I wanted to bring up at the end, just because uh, this is something that I struggle with my children is the um, getting a shot or getting a vaccination when you're um, at the physician. I have my little guy who uh, is working very hard on being okay, getting their vaccinations, um, but he struggles and he screams and he yells and um, he, you know, he's just really, really scared. So I wanted to know if there was anything that you could recommend that kind of just eases that um, just helps, you know, helps me as a parent through it and, and helps my child maybe get through that process. That's a really good question. And uh, I think it's a, the solution is very individualized, right? So a lot of times when I'm seeing kids in the office, I will mention to the parents that, 
you know, I'll usually say if the child is really small, I might spell out the word immunizations or I might spell out the word shots. <laughs> um, but a lot of times, you know, I want to I'll write it down and show it to them if I don't know how the child will take it. And then uh, parents know their kids best. So some parents are like, don't mention it. We'll just deal with it at the end. So I, you know, respect whatever they want me to do and I'll, I'll do it accordingly. But I think that suggestions for how to get your child used to it if you think your child is the kind of child who's going to feel really anxious about it and they want to know about it ahead of time, you can call the office ahead of time, find out if they're due for anything. And you know, on the portal for a lot of patients, it shows what vaccines are due. Great. Yeah. So you, you can, yeah. You can see that ahead of time. If you're logged in electronically, if not, you can call the, the doctor's office and say, are they due for any vaccines? And uh, the other thing, you know, how to, address it with your kids. A couple of things on that. First one is that, you know, if they are getting vaccines, if you know your child would do better to know ahead of time, you can tell them. Um, then there's a question of, you know, is your child going to willingly sit for the vaccines, which often is not <laughs> the case. So if that's not the case, then what is your plan for doing that? For example, if you want to bring in both mom and dad for the visit to assist with, you know, helping them get the vaccines, or if you want the the person who is, you know, giving the vac vaccines to be aware ahead of time so that if they need extra staffing, if it's distressing for you to hold your child for that, then you can tell them, this is hard for me to do. Can you please ask for some extra staff members to help to, yeah. to make it faster for them, make it a little bit easier? Um, I usually recommend for kids that they, you know, look away and just make their arm feel like like a limp piece of linguine. <laughs> because <laughs> because the, the more you stiffen your muscles, you know, the more if it's a, a shot that's giving intramuscularly, it's going to hurt. So depending on the shot, you know, I would just say in general, if it's probably better to be honest with your kids, but, you know, everyone knows their kids best. You know, I'm not an expert in your child. The parents are the experts in their children. So if you feel like they're going to, do better if you tell them at the end, you know, we'll, we'll work with whatever, you know, you want to do in terms of the, the, the providers that you're seeing. But I would say good recommendation is don't look at the needle for most kids that does not make them less anxious. Right. right. And um, just look, look away. And then maybe you could put on a song or something as a little distraction, but be honest with your kids. A lot of times I'll have parents, you know, that might tell the, the kids it's not going to hurt at all. And then they get the shot and they're like, that really hurt. <laughs> so I usually say it's a little pinch, you know, so it's very quick. Usually it's over fast. And um, most kids do better than we expect. And later on, a lot of kids are like, oh, that wasn't such a big deal. But I think it's just the the fear of getting it sometimes might be worse than the actual vaccine itself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and I completely agree with you. I think it's the uh, anticipation of knowing that something's going to hurt you for just a minute, but it, it's, mm -hmm. it's that buildup. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I think those, those suggestions are great. I love the Linguini noodle arm. Um, I will have to remember that one for, for me personally. Um, I, I think that it's, it's a really good one. And I know, you know, I can, again, speak for just myself, my child needs to know right away as soon as we get in the car, what's going to happen, what mm -hmm. it's going to look like, how it's going to feel. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, like you said, to be very honest and upfront, mm -hmm. uh, I think, think is the, the best method. And then, you know, it doesn't 
Kurt to uh, bring some chocolates into the office to thank the, <laughs> the lovely staff for dealing with the yelling and screaming <laughs> that might ensue afterwards. But um, I think that's that's really great. And, and hopefully most families, you know, as children get older and they learn to um, tolerate those things and, and blood draws and things like that, that they don't get as, as challenging and get a little easier. Yeah, but you know, if you're anticipating your child will have a big reaction to the vaccines, um, I encourage parents, if you need a big reinforcer, if you need to have something like a new toy that you bought for your child, don't tell them in advance, pop it out during the office visit, and or you can talk to them in advance and say, right after you get the shot, you're going to get to open this. Mm -hmm. So sometimes hearing, I will give you this is different than you see the toy right there, or you see the item, the book, or whatever you're you know, using to motivate them, whatever your reinforcer is and say, okay, you can have it as soon as we get the vaccine. Sometimes that makes it a little distracting for them in a good way. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Oh, well, I will certainly try these techniques myself and we will see. How <laughs> yeah. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> um, certainly, you know, I, I think some of this stuff we hear more and more because, you, you know, children over 12 are able to get the, the vaccine now. And so, you know, I've heard this from many families because they haven't been to the doctor in the past year. And so mm -hmm. it's something that's coming up again. But um, I love your strategies for this. I think that, again, the honesty, the pre-planning, um, you know, really looking at your pediatrician as part of your team. You know, I really love that you said that there, because I think so often as parents, we get nervous and um, we just want to almost give the right answers during visits. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we forget that we're really there to get our needs met for our family mm -hmm. um, right. and to work together, you right. know, with, with the physician. So I really love your approach. Um, and I think if parents would kind of reframe the visits around that as let's let's see what my teammate can help me with today, that really would make a difference. Right. No, I think that's a great way to look at it. And I think also just splitting your visits into your well visit and uh, another visit for the other concerns take some of the pressure off. You don't have to get every single thing done immediately. You can say, okay, I'm going to come back in a week and we'll go right. over the stuff then. You know? Right. Yeah. I think that's great. And I'm sure there's lots of families out there who, you know, didn't know that was even a choice. So, you know, certainly I think our message today is, is to have those conversations with your provider, you know, see what's available, um, what's out there to make these visits work for you and your family. Absolutely. And if there's something that they did in terms of new workflows during the pandemic, like waiting in your car that worked well for your child, then see if you can still ask to do it the same way. Right, right. Yeah, that's a great point. Definitely flexibility now that uh, we've been through this pandemic is, right. is key. We, we know that. <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, Dr. Hamilton, thank you so much for today. That was amazing information. Um, I am looking forward to our next conversations. I know doing this conversation with you today kind of sparked some topics that we were throwing back and forth. So I can't wait to see, you know, what comes next out of, uh, out of this uh, presentation. Yes, Erin, I'm excited to talk to you again and then uh, just continue, you know, talking about some of these topics that might be helpful. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, uh, for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Navigating Developmental Delays. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All right, everyone. Take care. Goodbye. Bye-bye.